over the next couple of weeks, two or three weeks, we're going to learn what God's plan that has always been to bless and prosper us. And today, we're going to start off that um, with Kingdom Finance Part 1, which gives you the clue that um, next week, Jan is going to talk about how it affects us today. But I'm going to concentrate on some foundational truths from Scripture about what God says about our finances. And then you have a chance to respond and dig a bit deeper. And we have a Hope Equips session, evening session coming up on October the 10th, which we would love you to come along to. Now, if you were here last week, you will have heard Jan talk about some of the amazing things that happened in Brazil, some of the healings, some of the amazing salvations. And you could be sort of, um, you could understand why you think, oh, well, actually, have we sort of moved from the mundane to the practical? Um, But actually, I just want to encourage you, it's the same supernatural power of God, which is in our finances, which is in our salvation, which is in our healings. And if you catch nothing more of what I say today, it is definitely going to be that the supernatural power of God is at work in our finances. So, talking about finance actually causes quite a few mm, sort of mm, reactions in us, if we're honest, when we we start to talk about finances. And I can see some of you smiling, so you obviously hear that too. So, actually, that often discourages us from, from talking about finance. We often don't talk about it very often, but I want us this morning um, to talk about how God intended our finances right in 2023 to work way, way back. Um, so apart from tithing, which we recognize as a little bit of a, uh, we recognize as an Old Testament principle, most of our finance um, knowledge and understanding comes from the New Testament. And to be honest, this can sometimes be a bit confusing Because we see Jesus talking about having nowhere to lay his head. But then he had a treasurer in Judas who had enough money in the kitty to steal from it. We perceive Jesus as embracing poverty, but whose clothes were of the finest quality. We read of Jesus telling us we can't serve both God and money. We see Jesus telling us to remember the poor, yet receiving perfume to his feet, which was costly. We read of the early church selling what they had and laying it at the apostles' feet. And who could forget the sobering story of Ananias and Sapphira? We see people giving sacrificially in Paul's letters as a response to famine, beyond what they were able sometimes. But we see riches of some of the other New Testament churches. So there can be sometimes actually no coherence to what we believe over our finances We believe we're called to prosper, but we so often live in want. And I want to show you this picture here. I know, if you squint, you might look at it. I'm very sorry, it's a dark picture. But as you can see, there's a bit of a landscape, and what you can't see in the middle here is is a boat with a fisherman next to it. And the fisherman is the only person in the picture. There's no other humans in there. And sometimes we can think about our finances like that. Actually, it's just me. But if you move on, and many of you will have seen this picture, 
in the Kelvin Art Gallery. Actually, the picture that I showed you is about an inch up from the bottom there. And the whole backdrop of that picture is overshadowed by God. And that's what I want to talk about our finances in that way this morning, that actually our, the way that we see our finances can sometimes be, it's just about me, but actually it's not. It has God in the picture. So I'm going to shine a light on the original plan this morning, way, way back in the history of the Jews, a plan which promised to bless and prosper the children of God and us still today. And what the Jewish people from Abraham right through the early church had rooted and grounded in their culture about the goodness and the blessing of God. So this morning is not about giving you a to-do list if that's what you were expecting this morning about your finances. Rather, it's about highlighting some foundational truths of kingdom finances and how God's blessing are revealed in our lives. Truths which are vital to us to grasp and accomplish all that God has called us to do. It's not just about me, it's what God has called us to do. We're to be blessed and we're to be prospering and to be, we're to be released and we're to be reigning. And we're gonna build on those foundations next week and look what that actually means for us today. But my time is limited unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which way you think it. Um, but it is absolutely fascinating and faith-building, actually. Come along to our Hope Equips class and dig in and discover more. But I'm just going to dip into three instances in the Old and New Testament this morning to give us a glimpse of that backstory, that context and keys which help us understand God's original plan to advance the kingdom, blessing his people in a sweep of history of which we are part. So God's original plan was a garden where Adam and Eve dwelt in, friend, dwelt in friendship with God. Having all they needed to be fruitful and extend the reign of God over the whole earth. They were called to multiplication, authority, and material provision was provided for them in the garden, and that was the foundation of their lives. But actually, we all know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned, were expelled from the garden, and then we see a world that became a bit fractured. We see stories in Genesis of the Tower of Babel. We see the rise of nomadic peoples who served many gods, Gods ruled their world by lots of demands and they ceded spiritual control of their lives to what they couldn't see. Gods controlled their crops, gods controlled the weather, gods controlled everything about their life. And a world that was fatalistic, things which ran in cycles. You know, you might be, you might be wealthy one minute, but sure as anything, you know, when the cycle goes round, you'll find yourself in want again. Life was absolutely unpredictable. And into that world steps Abraham. And God intervened at, in, at that point in Abraham's life and chose to work in Abraham's life totally differently than he'd done since the Garden of Eden. And it says here, And the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Blessed here, it's always good to know what blessed means, if you've got a promise like that. So blessed here in Hebrew is the word bracha, which means benediction, a declaring something good over somebody. It means prosperity, blessings, liberality, gifts, presents. God initiates this blessing, but Abraham and his descendants are called to be a blessing too. Overflow was inbuilt in this promise. You will be a blessing. So God enters into a relationship with Abraham and then blesses all his descendants. And and this is not like a bit of sprinkling of magic fairy dust here. Um, God entered into a covenant with Abraham to walk with him. And he said, your people will be my people. I'm going to partner with you and I'm going to walk with you and your descendants, so they will be raised up to be a blessing in the earth. That repetition of I will, I will, assured them of God's continued presence. He covenanted to mentor them for growth and blessing. The blessing wasn't just a spiritual blessing. It touched every part of Abraham's life. So, how did God How did God begin to mentor Abraham to walk in prosperity and blessing, provision and abundance, and be that conduit himself for that to overflow? Firstly, God revealed himself as the one God. I'll be your God and you'll have no other gods before me. Now in our Western mindset, it's not that unusual for us to think in terms of one God. But the people in Abraham's time thought that there were many gods. Primitive tribes in the past and even today worship many gods. What you notice is they generally never prosper. Tribal people often live as victims so long as they believe in many gods. Gods who are capricious and demanding. If this world is created by one God then, I can learn to walk with him and how this world works, and I can govern my life according to how he sees it, and I can see fruit of that. This was profound for Abraham. God will be my God, God will walk with me, and he will provide all that I need. Secondly, God gave Abraham a sense of identity. I will be your God, and you will be my people. God was saying, you belong to me. Abraham was being called here to multiply, subdue, take dominion, reflecting God's original plan in the Garden of Eden with Adam and steward this earth as part of God's chosen people. Thirdly, God gave him a sense of purpose and a job to do. In Genesis 1, before Adam fell, talks about working six days and resting one day. God wants our work 
to produce abundance. Often we get in the idea that it's all just going to come in through the letterbox. But actually, God's design was our work produces abundance. He wants us to apply ourselves, be responsible, manage ourselves. The outwork of outworking of giving Abraham the land didn't come easily. If you read the rest of Genesis and most of the, the early part of the, the Torah, you'll find getting in the land was pretty tough. In hindsight, we see how, how hard Abraham worked and subsequent generations to occupy the land of promise. Next, he gives him land ownership. Again, such an original and out-of-the-blue concept in that, in that culture. He established a foundation of land ownership. God revealed who he was to Abraham, who Abraham was, what his purpose was, and he now establishes him in land ownership. This, way, this was so radical for Abraham, the nomadic warrior. God told Abraham, you and your descendants need to settle here. God was creating personal ownership right at the foundation for Abraham and his descendants. This land will be yours. And lastly, God wanted him to live as a free people. God was creating a people in Old Testament times and was teaching them to be the head, not the tail, not be passive, but to rise up and move ahead and own possessions, property, take responsibility for what he gave them and bless them through it. Just to underline that, God actually changed Abraham's name from Abraham, which means high father, which was a bit of a mockery since he didn't have any children, to father of many nations, which spoke of God's abiding promises. Abraham was to be a recipient and an overflow to a channel. So, what was Abraham's response to this? It says, Abraham, our father of faith, led the way as our pioneering example. He believed God and the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to him. And actually, okay, that's a great story, Anne. But why does that, why does that matter to us? Because actually, Galatians 3, and since you've been united to Jesus the Messiah, you are now Abraham's child and inherit all the promises of the kingdom realm. So the story of Abraham and what God promised to Abraham is vitally important for us today. We are Abraham's children. And it says, and we inherit all of the promises of the kingdom realm. We inherit those same promises. It's our legacy as children of God. God has revealed himself to us, given us an identity as a child of God. God gives us a purpose on the earth, establishes us in blessing and provision, and wants us to live free. What is our purpose? To establish the kingdom. We are called like Abraham to receive and then pay it forward as we live blessed lives ourselves and we overflow that blessing. So Abraham wasn't just called to, to gather things for himself and God was going to bless him. It was blessing 
and overflow with the principles. So, that's everything sorted then. God's appeared to Abraham, that's it. It's all done and dusted. Well, actually, we all know it's not quite that simple. Um, God recognized the need to walk with Abraham. He knew Abraham wasn't just going to get it in a wanna. He was going to mentor him in this new covenant, which was so radical. God's promise was, I will. It was ongoing and future-focused. And he still mentors us today. So let's fast forward a little bit and let's drop in on Moses. Moses of the Ten Commandments and Moses of Deuteronomy. So we get a bit of an update further on in history. We've had slavery, we've had an exodus, and here we are waiting for the promised land. How is the covenant faring? Well, as you and I, as you know, if you've read the story like I have, it wasn't going swimmingly well, actually. Um, however, in the midst of all that, we see Joseph administering the blessing and the provision of, the children, of, the, the, of God. We see shoes not wearing out. We see manna coming to feed the people. The Egyptians giving their wealth as the Israelites leave Egypt to name just a few of the blessings throughout the pages of that story. And we see Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were a bit of a how do we administer the blessing of God? How, how do we, we, we do that? Um, now for us who've probably been brought up on the Ten Commandments, they seem pretty pretty simple to us. We, I don't think we grasp how absolutely radical in that culture the Ten Commandments were. So let's just have a look at them. Let's look at the first three. Remember the covenant that God made with Abraham? You shall have no other gods before me. I'm the one. I'm the one that, that you do. Then let's look at the next two. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So that was work and rest, honor God, manage yourself. The next two, value life. Value life. Life is important. And then the last ones are all about what to do when you own things. You can't steal something from somebody if nobody owns anything. You can't covet something of your neighbor if nobody has anything. So these were, were almost like God codifying the, the covenant that he had with Abraham. And God expands on this later in Deuteronomy 28, which I haven't got time to read out, but I would encourage you to read it. God tells them that they're going to be the head, not the tail, the lenders, not the borrowers, the ones who own the gates of their enemies and be at the top and have abundance. God is telling them that this is how the blessing is going to be manifest. And there's a long list of blessings there. They're all practical and they're all measurable. They're not airy-fairy well, but they're all practical and measurable there. And in Deuteronomy 18 probably is a, is a bit of a summing up of that. It says, for it is he, God, who gives you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant 
which you swore to your fathers. God is confirming the covenant he made with Abraham that flowed through Isaac and Jacob, then all the Jewish people, by giving them the power to make wealth. He's telling them they're going to be blessed spiritually because he's the one God. He's telling them they're going to be blessed physically because he's given them a land to dwell in. And he's going to bless them materially so that they have enough for their own needs and to be a blessing. So the whole, in the whole sweep of the Old Testament, God never retracts his covenant. He rescues, he blesses, he sustains, he grows, he protects, and he enlarges his chosen people. In the midst of catastrophes, disobedience, and those very people often turning their back on him, he was steadfast and is steadfast, and his promises are immovable. His plan to build a kingdom by caring for and prospering his children has never changed. God established a new economic system. And the Jews lived their life in this covenant. Despite their mistakes, they passed from generation to generation the truth of the Abrahamic covenant until it became so much part of who they were as a nation. So you might ask, did it work? I don't have time today, but I would, if you'd like to look it up at the beginning of 1 Kings, you'll see the kingdom of Solomon. Solomon's kingdom was famous for how much God had blessed him materially. Look it up yourselves. Marvel at the God's extravagance. Why? Because Solomon chose the one who was wisdom. He chose God to guide him. One God looking after his child to demonstrate his great power to build a covenant kingdom and a covenant people. And it has been suggested actually, and you might want to try this, is that the book of Proverbs, if you really struggle with getting that godly mindset about your finances, reading one chapter of Proverbs a day will actually really speak to you about how God wants you to prosper. A chapter a day and those values and that culture. So try it and, and uh, let's see how it goes. So let's fast forward again and let's bring us into Jesus's world. And Jan is going to be unpacking this much more next week. So I'm just going to dip into this, take a brief look at this. Jesus and the New Testament church. So the Jews, we've seen the Jews come into New Testament times with a culture and a legacy of being blessed and chosen by God. Jesus was born into that culture. Jesus added to, he explained, and he gave us new insight into the covenant with Abraham, instilling an attitude of heart at the center, which was love for God and love for others as you love yourself. We see that in the two greatest commandments that he did. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But it was always in the context that God was committed to blessing us and prospering us. Jesus' words in Matthew 6. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. 
do is best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And it was into this culture too that the early church emerged. Brought up in a culture of the favour of God, but also immersed in the teaching of Jesus around how to put God at the centre, not loving and pursuing money. And they prospered. Do you know, we often look at the New Testament and feel it calls us to give our all away, keep nothing for ourselves and be selfless in blessing others so we left with nothing ourselves. And we use this next um, scripture that I'm going to read as an example of that. Um, and it, it says, you'll be very much aware of this scripture. It says, all the believers were in fellowship and as one body and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to dish the proceeds to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need amongst them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to the number daily those who were coming to life. That's Acts 2, verse 44 to 47. So, in the past, we've often been really challenged by these verses. Do we have to have everything in common? Am I duty-bound to share everything I have with others in need? But I think it's, it's important to look more carefully at this verse. As it says, actually, even in the version I read out, they began selling their possessions. They actually sold their assets. It doesn't say they sold all their possessions. They began selling they actually had a lot of possessions because they were Jews. It says every day they continued to meet together, house to house. Well, they didn't sell their houses because they were still meeting in them. Um, the fact that they could specifically sell some of what they owned means they already owned stuff and they were led by God to respond so I don't think you can take that specific instance and say, oh, God wants to keep us all poor. Because it was their culture to work six days a week, to invest, to give inheritances, to tithe, to help the poor. But this was a time when the Holy Spirit came on them and they just began selling their possessions as the Holy Spirit prompted them. New Testament Jews were in a culture, an Abrahamic culture of blessings and that, that was a real and tangible part of their lives. So we don't have time this morning to continue down that timeline beyond uh, what's recorded in the New Testament to trace the covenant blessings which still rest on the Jewish nation. They deal, did and still do have God's prov wealth, provision of wealth and prosperity as part of their lifestyle. And seek to be an example of how to bless others out of that overflow, just as God intended 4,000 years ago. And if you want to look up, um, if you want to look up the richest people in this country and find out how many of them are Jews. And then if you want to also look up who are the people who give away 
most of their money, who are the most philanthropic, wealthy people, you'll find they're also Jews. Actually, there is something in their culture that was handed 4,000 years ago, which they still live in the good of today. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, there is something that God blessed to them then that they still walk in. So, what is the thread that I've been pulling this morning? That thread is God wants to bless you. He has blessed his people for 4,000 years. You are part of his plan to go the kingdom by demonstrating the riches of his grace and the very great power for us who believe. As we experience the provision of God for all we need, we are able to overflow blessings to those around us and be a kingdom carrier to our world, reaching the poor, the lost, the marginalized and the hurting with the kingdom of God and all its blessings. So I'm hoping to provoke a few questions in you this morning. You've been very great sitting there, some of you taking notes, looking very... But I want to provoke a few questions and, say, and ask you these questions. Is that truly my experience? What if it's not happening for me and God is keeping me poor? How does this, all this apply to me? I think we need to change how we think, if that's how you feel. God doesn't change his mind. We've just dipped into a few scriptures this morning. There's a whole Bible full of the faithfulness of God. Change how we think. God doesn't change his mind. Maybe we need to change what we believe and how we think, especially if in this area we're based on our circumstances alone. Maybe we, you know, we feel as though we don't deserve God's blessing. Do you know, God gave Abraham, first of all, an identity as his child. Do you know that you're God's child? Because if you are, these blessings belong to you. And it's not about deserving them. It's about God's graciousness. And, and I think most of us would have this question. Well, how do we live in different seasons then of want and plenty with that same ver- firm belief in the goodness and blessing of God? We have all here, I'm absolutely confident in saying, have lived in times of want and we live, lived in times of plenty. Paul had the answer for that. It says, keep pressing in and believing God. I know what it means to lack And I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. So next week, my preaching buddy here is going to show you some keys about taking what we've done this morning, what we've learned this morning of God's heart of faithfulness to his people in the past and making this living and active in our lives in 2023. So don't miss that. But I would like to take a little bit of time now for us to respond. And I want us to take a bit of reflection. Our kids are are still out for a few more minutes. And some of us don't get much time to sit and do nothing. So I'd like us to just sit and meditate on God for a while. And I want you to allow Holy Spirit to light bulb some things for you. 
to expose maybe our wrong thinking, to cause us to start to believe differently how God wants us to live. Sometimes we see our finances as very personal and a private thing. And sometimes we have some shame attached to how our finances are or how, how we've, we've, we've run our finances. But I want us to let Holy Spirit help us. And I want us to meditate and think about four questions. Holy Spirit, what is my heart reaction to what has been said this morning? Why is that? Holy Spirit, are there some lies I've been believing about how God cares and provides for me? What is the truth? God, do I really believe that you are my provider? Why do I struggle to believe that sometimes? And lastly, Holy Spirit, what difference would it make to my life if I embrace the truth that you want to prosper me and make blessings overflow my life? What could my life look like? So I'd like us to take a few minutes. I'm going to leave those questions up there. And I want you to just ask, just have a bit of a chat with Holy Spirit. That is a great way to get the truths of God in our lives.